0: The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. If you're new here, Uh, I've been gone for about five weeks or so in a little sabbatical break. And yeah, you've probably been gone too. You didn't notice, right? (laughs) Um, So... uh, yeah, it's good to be back. Um, you know what? It's funny. I have friends who have gone on little sabbatical breaks, and they, during the time they're away, uh, the Lord makes it clear to them that it's time to move on. And so there's always a fear when you go on little breaks like that, right? You get some distance, get some space, and you're like, ah, what's God going to do? And, um, man, I came back just more energized, more committed, more sure that this is where Jesus wants me to pour my life out. And so... Uh, Until he says otherwise, you're stuck with me. So here we go. Um, Yeah, but I just want to say thank you, uh, particularly to our staff, to uh, Don Steed and Hannah Manning uh, and to Larry Shingler and Jimmy Branch and Kristen Burt and Matt Beckler uh, for just manning the fort uh, in my absence, um, and our elder team as well, uh, Larry, Jimmy, Ryan, Mark. Um, It's good to know that I can just let go of the ship for a little bit, and it's in great hands while I'm gone, but I'm really, really jazzed to be back. So um, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, please turn to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11 is where we are going to be. Um, we've been in a series throughout the summer in the book of Proverbs, and we've, we've done this because we all need help to do life better than we've done it so far, <laughs> right? We all recognize our, our folly. If we look back on our lives, the mistakes we've made and that kind of thing, we want to do life better. And we recognize that life is complex and we need wisdom to navigate all the gray areas of life uh, that come our way. And, and so Proverbs is a pathway. It's one of the reasons why the design of the series looks that, like it does, like it's a hiking trail, right? It's a pathway towards wisdom, practical wisdom from God about how real life actually works. Not only do we need wisdom, but our city needs wise Christians who will put on display the wisdom and the beauty of God uh, in a world that is dominated by folly. And so we've been looking at um, particular subjects. Proverbs is kind of hard to go through expositionally because of the nature of the way it's written. And so we've taken certain subjects that, you know, most of us, all of us kind of deal with um, and, and try to show God's wisdom and how we apply God's wisdom to those different areas of our lives. Today, we come to the, the topic, the issue, the subject of generosity. Now, don't worry, this isn't primarily a sermon about money, although that's part of our generosity. Um, it's about being open-handed with all of our lives. And to be honest with you, I didn't originally plan. When I planned this series some months ago, I did not plan on us hitting the subject of generosity, but Uh, Over the last several weeks, I've read all the way through the book of Proverbs probably 15 times or so, and uh, these particular verses keep coming to the surface. So I felt like, well, maybe God has something for somebody in these couple of verses, and even if it's just one person, uh, I want to be obedient to what I feel like God is calling me to do. So Proverbs 11 is what we're going to be looking at, and again, we're we're talking about open-handedness. Not only with our wallets, but with our calendars, like with, with all of our lives, um, and I want to say from the outset, we have some incredibly generous people uh, who are part of this congregation, people who give sacrificially, joyfully, freely of their lives, of their time, of their money, of their energy uh, to help us on our mission of maturing and multiplying disciples here in Nashville and beyond. And I'm grateful for each of those of you who are committed like that, to that kind of generosity to Jesus and, to, and, and through this church. Um, but for the rest of us, we've got some work to do, so... Uh, <laughs> Just kidding. Proverbs 11, look at verses uh, 24 and 25. It's what we're going to look at this morning. So uh, it'll be on the screen as well if you don't have a Bible, but I hope you do have one. If you need one, uh, you can take that paper back with you. We want you to have the word of God in front of you. Proverbs 11, starting in verse 24, says this. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Be to God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful, I am grateful, to, uh, to be back with my brothers and my sisters. Um, you are doing something incredibly special here at Missio Day Church, and I'm so thankful to be a little part of it, caught up in what you are up to in this place, and thankful for these brothers and sisters and all that they mean to me. Lord, as we look at this passage of scripture, we recognize that these are your words uh, inspired by your spirit. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to do what only you can do um, through this word so that we respond to you with with faith, with repentance, with um, honor, that we um, live in this world according to the way that you have called us to. And so this morning, Lord, do whatever you need to do, whether that is conviction or rebuke, or encouragement, um, even to bring some from death into life this morning, to, to move them from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, that they might trust you with their lives. Um, do what only you can do and, and just use me in this moment um, to proclaim your word. And so I pray your blessing over our time of study in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now, <clears throat> uh, you may know that Proverbs is full of contrasts. Right There's primarily you see the wise against the fool, the righteous and the wicked, the uh, rich and the poor, the diligent and the lazy, the angry and the patient, the proud and the humble, as uh, Mark uh, t- taught us about last week, did a great job with that. Here, we see a contrast between one who gives and one who, who withholds. So if you're a note-taker, my first point is going to be this: the prophet. Of generosity. Sounds a little strange, but let me get into it. The prophet of generosity. Look at the text again. He says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. So one gives freely. In other words, he is generous. The word in the original language is actually the word for scatters, like scattering seed. Okay, so here, think of one with, with a bunch of seed in hand, and, and he's liberal with it. He's open-handed. He's, he's not holding back. He's scattering this seed generously and liberally. And the result, according to the text, is that he gains even more. He continues to see increase, to see his crop multiply, to grow even richer, and if I could paraphrase verse 25, he says it this way, basically, those who bring blessing through generosity will themselves be blessed. Now, it has been said in the Proverbs series so far that Proverbs are principles, not promises. And, and I think that's true and that's right, okay? Just because you see something a uh, uh, sort of if this, then that, or cause and effect in Proverbs doesn't necessarily mean God promises that. But here in Proverbs chapter 11, we see a hint at something that we see throughout the rest of scripture. For example, Genesis chapter 12, let's go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Uh, God calls Abram, renames him Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you will be what? A blessing, right? So Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing, so that the blessing will flow through you. But I'm going to give it to you first, and then it's going to come from you to others, Uh, I believe it's Psalm 112 talks about those who deal generously, particularly by giving to the poor, that they are blessed. Um, Proverbs 3 uh, says that if we honor the Lord with our wealth, that our barns will be filled. We skip forward to the New Testament. We have Paul in Acts chapter 20. He's writing this letter to the church at Ephesus, uh, uh, sort of a farewell letter. And he says to them, or he's sort of speaking to them, I suppose. Luke is writing it down. Uh, Paul says to them, remember how Jesus told us it is, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Skip forward to, um, to Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. I'll read you a couple of verses out of 2 Corinthians chapter nine. Paul says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then he, um, and then he says, I guess that's all I wanted to say out of there for now. Oh no, verse 10. He, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Listen to this. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Later, um, a couple weeks from now, we're going to start the book of Philippians. uh, And in Philippians chapter four, Paul even says to that church, which was generous and gave a financial gift to him to extend his ministry. He says, I thank you for the gift. Not that I was seeking the gift, but he says, but I was seeking the profit that will be credited to your account. Hmm. Now um, we got to be careful. Okay. Um, lest this sound like some sort of prosperity gospel nonsense, right? Which says uh, God is God owes you if you give to him, he must give you back more. Okay, I prefer truth over lies. So, so l- let's tease out the truth of this. Um, there's a there's a story. You've, if you've been around here uh, a while, you've heard me tell this story a few times because I only have like four stories. Uh, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, uh, uh, eight. Baptist preacher in the 1800s in London, he tells a story about a a, a um, farmer who peasant farmer who who grew this carrot. It was like the greatest carrot he'd ever grown in his life. And so he brings it to the king and he says, "King, I want you to have this carrot. This is the best, largest, like you know, am- most amazing carrot I've ever grown." And the king is so honored by this, right, his generosity. He says, "Well, you must be really good at farming. Tell you what, I'm going to give you a, a new plot of land, a larger plot of land, so that you can continue to grow these great crops." Well, there's a guard who hears. The conversation, and he thinks to himself, well, if you can get a plot of land for a carrot, I wonder what you can get for a horse. So the next day he comes in and he says, king, I want you to have my most prized stallion, right? This is the, the, my most trusty steed, right? And I want you to have uh, this uh, amazing horse. And the king says, thank you. And he walks away and, and uh, the guards a little confused by this. And the king stops and he turns around and says, ah, let me explain to you. Uh, you see, the farmer yesterday was giving me the carrot. You were giving yourself the horse. Hmm. So let's not not be duped into thinking that the reason we give, and again, this isn't just about money. Give of our time, give of our resources, give of our money, give of our energy, our home, right? Let us not think that the reason we give is just so God will give us back. The reason we give, the wise man here, or the wise woman is generous. She is open handed because she realizes that everything she has is a gift. This is James one, right? Every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the father of lights. She doesn't own any of it. Not her money, time, resources, skills, nothing. Doesn't own any of it and yet, the, the responsibility is to steward what has been entrusted by God in order to make much of him, to bless other people, and also to take care of our own needs. Some of you were with us through our study of the book of Acts. We saw this in Acts quite, quite poignantly, didn't we? Acts 2, Acts 4, Acts 11. These, these fledgling believers, brand new Christians, Right? Who, who had seen God work powerfully in their own lives and in their circumstances, they see needs around them and they rally to meet those needs. They gave freely and joyfully and sacrificially and abundantly and generously of their money, of their time, of their stuff, of their homes, of their lives. They gave generously of the gospel. They're not gonna hoard the gospel. They're gonna share with as many people as possible. Why? Because Jesus was real to them in resurrection power. And so they, they trusted him. And when they, tru- when they put their trust in the Lord to provide for their needs, they're able to release their grip on their stuff, right? And in so doing, as they were generous, as they gave, the Lord continued to bless them. Now, let's make a note here. Not primarily materially. Materially. The poor churches in the book of Acts stayed poor, but they were blessed for their generosity. They were blessed with great power, with great grace, great favor. The favor of God was upon them, and they had a great reputation with outsiders. And who of us believers does not want great power from God and great grace from God and the favor of God upon us and a great reputation with the outside world? Isn't that what we want? To know that the Lord's hand is upon us. Remember Psalm 90: May the favor of the Lord be upon us. Yes, then he established the work of our hands. That's our prayer. And so, the normative pattern throughout the scripture is the people of God being generous for the glory of God and the good of others. But that seems kind of at odds with how a lot of us live our lives, doesn't it? So let's look next at the problem of generosity. We saw the profit of generosity, but now let's look at the problem of generosity. I want to read these verses again since there's just two of them. Look back at the text with me. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. Now there's a couple of problems here. Uh, One is this, we all want others to be generous, (laughs) but if we're honest with ourselves, we don't always want to be generous or we think we can't be generous, right? We start to think we can't be generous. Um, Why? Because generosity costs us, doesn't it? Quite literally. It costs sometimes money, it costs us time, it can cost us convenience, it can cost us freedom to be generous. And we know we all have limited time and energy and money and resources, and so isn't it better to conserve those things that we've been given until with the time when we really need them? Not exactly. Not exactly. Um, social scientists have actually done studies on uh, what Stephen Covey um, w- coined the scarcity mindset. And they've confirmed sort of what, what he um, proposed about the scarcity mindset. The easiest way I can sort of describe the scarcity mindset is, you remember when you are a little kid and you like lose a tooth? And then your tongue always goes to where that hole is where you used to have a tooth, and you can't stop thinking about the gap where there used to be a tooth. Anybody have that? Remember that when you're a kid? Okay. That's scarcity mindset, right? Scarcity mindset says I can only kind of focus on what I don't have or what I don't think I have enough of. Uh, almost to the point of obsession. So so I, I don't have enough of this, or I don't have any of this, or uh, it's very scarce, there's not gonna be enough. Uh, kind of like when people went crazy about the toilet paper back during COVID, right? And we're just hoarding it, right? Because there's not going to be enough. And, uh, and what would we do if we don't have toilet paper, you know? And so we start thinking about that and we tighten our grip on what we do have, which actually, according to studies, causes us to make decisions that are counterproductive to what we actually need. Okay. Uh, I'll give you some examples. So Um, I see this often uh, in you guys, in the dating world uh, and in the parenting world. Here's some examples. Um, You have someone who you're dating and you think to yourself, if I lose this person, I will lose everything. And so what do you do? You tighten your grip, right? You become obsessive. You become smothering and overbearing or maybe even controlling. And what happens? You drive them away. Parents, you think, if this kid doesn't grow up right, it's, it's going to be shame for the rest of my life. And so what do you do? You become controlling and manipulative. And, you know, and what happens? You drive your kid away. The exact thing you feared, you get. Because when you make decisions based on fear, they never pan out. <laughs> um, financially, you know, many of us struggle uh, to make ends meet. And you think to yourself, well, I don't, I don't have much money, okay? And so you would think you would think that if you don't have much money, you're gonna be really good at saving that money and conserving that money for what you really need. Turns out, according to studies, that when you have a scarcity mindset, according to, particularly when it regards money, you actually, your impulse control goes down, not up. So you end up spending money on stuff you don't need or don't want, and it's counterproductive, right? You end up with less than you had, which is exactly what Proverbs tells us. He, one person withholds what he should give and actually becomes more poor. Isn't that fascinating, right? That the Bible told us thousands of years ago what Stephen Covey discovered and what social scientists have confirmed. Wow. Now, I looked up the word generous in on dictionary.com. And here's what I found. To be generous is to be charitable or giving or unselfish. But here's another way that they described it, which I thought was really interesting. To be generous is to be free from meanness or smallness of mind or character. Isn't that fascinating? That a scarcity mindset is smallness of heart or mind. It's small-minded, small-hearted thinking. Believer, let me remind you, if you are in Christ, you do not operate from scarcity. How does Psalm 23 start? The Lord is my shepherd. (laughs) Oh, I shall not want because my shepherd provides everything that I need. John 1, from his fullness, we have grace upon grace. Jesus ain't operating out of no scarcity. He's got fullness. He's got abundance that he blesses us with. Even uh, again, back to Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, you know, he says, I've learned how to be content with plenty and with nothing, right? And then he says in in, uh, chapter 4, verse 19, and I know that my God will supply every need of yours, according to the riches of his glory in Christ. We do not operate from scarcity, but from the abundance of the Lord. And here's what it ultimately comes down to, friends. Can I trust that God will provide? That's it. If I give this money, whether it's giving to you know the church or giving to a friend who's in need or giving to uh, some other opportunity that's out there, do I trust that God will provide what I need if I let go of this money? If I give my time to help my friend move or to help serve at this soup kitchen or to help in kids' ministry or whatever, do I believe that God will actually multiply the time I have left and allow me to get done everything else that I got to do because I gave my time to go do that? can I trust him to provide for me if I'm generous, if I give away of parts of my life? Now there's another problem. Okay, so that one problem, scarcity mindset, we don't really think we can be generous. The other problem is we just flat don't want to be generous, right? There's there's two ways to live essentially. You boil it all down. There's basically two ways to live. Others focused or self-focused. That's it. And boy, if we're honest, it's a real battle in our hearts, isn't it? Hour to hour, day to day. Any of you who've been in relationship or, or married know that the time your conflicts come, most of the time is when one or both of you are being self-focused. Yet flourishing, flourishing in relationships, flourishing in culture, flourishing in churches, flourishing in our city, only happens in others-focused environments. That's just the facts, right? When we are focused not on ourselves, but on others and the good of others, that's when people flourish. Um, Look back at the text one more time here. He says here in verse 24, one gives freely, meaning not under compulsion. It's his joy to be generous. Another withholds what he should give. That doesn't sound free, does it? So one gives freely, he's under no obligation. Another withholds what he's obligated to give, what he should give. That's really interesting. So, so here's, the, here's the point. The generous person sees their resources, time, money, energy, all that stuff, as primarily God's and holds them loosely and gives even when they're not obligated. The non-generous person sees their resources primarily as their own and will not give of them even when they are obligated. And there are times when we are obligated. Okay? Um, I think of Jesus in the story of the Good Samaritan, you know. Uh, Here's this guy walking down a winding path. He's attacked by robbers. He's beaten. He's laying there in the road for dead. And some people come across him, and listen, as image bearers of God, we have an obligation to other image bearers of God to help them if they're in a place of desperate need like that. And one guy goes by, another guy goes by, one's like, you know, I don't have time for this. The other guy's like, oh, I'll be unclean religiously if I touch him, so I'm not getting involved. And it takes a Samaritan who Jesus, you know, he was very keen about this. The Jews hated the Samaritans, and it's the Samaritan who's the hero because he actually stops and he cares for the man, and he's generous to him. Um, Proverbs 3, just flip back in your Bibles real quick to Proverbs chapter 3. It won't be on the screen, but uh, look at verse 27, Proverbs three twenty-seven. Do not withhold good from those whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow, and I'll give it when you have it with you. Do you see what he's saying here? You have a friend, you have a neighbor, you have someone else who has a need, you have the power to do something about it. He says, do not withhold. It's their due, you owe them. There's a responsibility, there's an obligation. If you have something that will bless someone else and they need it and they ask you, you give it to them. There's obligation there. Um, I know I said this wasn't about money, but let's talk tithing for a second, shall we? In the Old Testament, you're required to give 10% at least of your gross income to the temple, to the church, right? To the people of God. And we say, well, we're in the New Testament now. There's no obligation. There's no requirement to tithe. And I fully agree with you. You know, what is required is that you give your whole life. And if 10% is required under the law, how can we justify anything less under grace, my friends? Now, listen, we're doing great as a church. We got some generous people. We're doing fine. We don't need your money. You need to give because you need to worship Jesus. So there are times when we are obligated. The most precious resource that any of us has. Anybody want to take a stab? Time. And here's the thing about time. We all have the same amount. 168 hours in a week. Once you spend it, it's gone. You can never get it back. So we got to be very careful on how we steward our time. Now, um, I've been on summer vacation. I'm going to do a little show and tell. All right. I brought, this is back to like 90s youth group. I got an object lesson for you. It's going to be awesome. Or it's going to flop completely. I don't care. In this jar, I have 168 ping-pong balls representing an hour each one of our week, okay? Now, how do we spend our time? How do we as Americans spend this 168 hours that we are given? Okay, work, all right, good. Let's start with sleep. Okay, that's the one we spend the most on. We spend about 6.8 hours lost one. had a bad night's sleep over here. <laughs> we spend about 6.8 hours a night on average sleeping. That's just under 48 hours a week, okay? So we can't do anything about that. Some of us sleep more, some of us sleep less, but we all sleep. Okay, then we have work. Somebody mentioned work. Okay, on average in the U.S., we work about 34 hours a week. Again, that's the average of Part-time workers, full-time workers, everything in between, okay? So, we got about 34 hours. I made marks so I'd know where I'm at. about 34 hours a week sleeping, I mean, sorry, working, which ironically is also about 6.8 hours a day. (laughs) So we sleep 6.8 hours, we work 6.8 hours on average. Okay, Um, we got, what else? Food, eating, cooking, cleaning, all that kind of stuff. That's about two, four, six, eight, 10, 12 hours a week, on average, that we spend cooking, cleaning, and eating food. Okay, um, bathroom time. There's two, <laughs> three, all things bathroom, okay? Grooming, cleaning, all that. About four hours on average uh, a week for each of us. Okay, now some of you looking at this and you're going, um, see, look how I don't have much left. You know, all that, this is just basic stuff and now I don't have much left. There's about 70 hours left in your week, 70, okay? 10 hours a day. How are we stewarding what we have left? How are we spending? How are we honoring God and being generous with what's left? Now, I know there's other things I'm not mentioning here, but um, on average in the United States, um, Christians give Four hours to the practice of their faith per week. Okay, so maybe if my sermon goes long, I'll give you an extra hour. Okay, four to five hours a week. Now that's that's going to church, that's community group, that's um, reading your Bible. Okay. Anybody want to guess how many hours a week we spend on our phones? Twenty-six hours a week. Okay, so then we have needs around us. We have an, a friend who needs help moving, and we say, I'm sorry, man, I just don't have time. I don't have time, see? We, we say, hey, um, you know, since COVID, we've been on a shoestring with serve teams here, man. Like, we got dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of kids up there and and they need loving people to disciple them and to help them learn about Jesus. And it's just gonna take one extra hour of your week and we go, I I don't have time. There's teenagers who need a adult who's not their parent to help come alongside them and help them learn and grow in the faith. "I, I don't have time. In fact, I mean, I wasn't at church Three of the four Sundays, but I don't have time because, like, I was on vacation and I just, there's not much left here. Okay, look, my goal, my point is not to guilt any of us. It really isn't. Okay, but the visual representation of, like, how much time are we spending on ourselves? How much time are we wasting on friggin' YouTube? Okay, and Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus and Amazon Prime, and whatever streaming, HBO Max, and all the, right? We all have the same exact amount of time. But when we choose, I'm just going to dump these out. I'm kind of done with my demonstration. Thanks for coming to my TED Talk. When we choose to not be generous with our time, just as one example. And I'm not, okay, I'm talking church primarily, but I'm, I mean, gosh, that's Galatians 6, let us do good to all, but especially those of the household of faith. But you got neighbors, you got friends, there's other serve opportunities in our city, there's the poor, there's the marginalized, right? There's all kinds of ways we can invest our time. And when we choose not to be generous with our time, what we're asking other people to do is to be more generous so that I can justify being less generous. That is a scarcity mindset that I do not believe God will honor. Now, now that we all feel plenty guilty, let me give you some good news. Whoa, I about spilled all those ping pong balls everywhere. All right. Free hour for you. Um, (laughs) All right, let's read these verses one more time, and then we're going to talk about the power for generosity. Look at verse 24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. Okay, the power for generosity. We all feel guilty now for our foolishness, for a lack of trust in God, for our self-focus in our small-minded, small-hearted thinking. What do we do? How do we become wise people who are generous with all that God has entrusted to us? The answer is not just give more. That's That's not the answer. Generosity has to start in the heart before it makes its way to the calendar and the pocketbook and everything else, okay? In other words, we must look beyond ourselves We must look beyond even the need or opportunity in front of us. We must look beyond that to the Lord. We must look above to God and worship him and love him first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Okay. Okay. So in Acts chapter three, uh, Peter is giving this sermon. They just healed a guy and this crowd is gathering at Solomon's portico outside the temple and Peter's like, well, here's the crowd, I'm going to preach. And he begins to preach a sermon. And in his sermon, he says this. He says, um, God foretold by the prophets that his Christ would suffer. Why? So that we might experience times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. In other words, there is one who is coming there is one who came to give freely. There's one who came to, to be generous. There's one who came to bring blessing, and yet he himself is the one who suffered. He himself is the one who was thirsty, though he came to fulfill the thirst of all mankind. We, we looked at it um, in our liturgy. Paul in Second Corinthians 8 says, Jesus who was rich, right, became poor for our sake so that we might become rich in him. You see, Jesus was the perfect example of generosity. He was always giving of himself freely and generously, and yet he suffered for it. Jesus always was bringing blessing. Right? I mean, he brought blessing as far as the curse is found. And yet what happened to Jesus? He was accused, he was beaten, he was robbed, he was stripped of every earthly possession, and he was hung on a cross. Jesus, who was himself The living water cried out from the cross, I thirst. He opened his own veins. He gave of his own blood for all of our foolishness and all of our selfishness and all of our lack of trust in God and all that little small hearted, small minded thinking that we operate in. And why did he do it? Why would he do that for us? We sing about it all the time. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Paul even later reminds us in Romans chapter eight, if, if God did not spare his own son, but freely gave him, right? How will he not now with him gladly give us all things you see the generosity of god towards you and i is wild he he owes us nothing but condemnation for taking all the gifts that he has given us and worshiping the gift and rejecting the giver He owes us nothing but judgment and condemnation. And yet, Jesus, God would would place his judgment on his own son for us so that we could be refreshed, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be welcomed into the kingdom of God with all the riches of Christ at our disposal. What grace! What generosity! And the only way that we receive it, the only way we receive this grace is what? With empty hands. We come to the gospel. We have to let go of our time. We have to let go of our money. We have to let go of our energy. We have to let go of our lives in order to cling to Jesus. But here's the beautiful thing. When we do that, when we experience the radical, generous grace of God in Christ Jesus to us, we actually learn how to become generous. We begin to treasure Christ above all things. We treasure Christ more than our time. We treasure Christ more than our money. We treasure Christ more than our resources. We treasure Christ more than our convenience, more than our stupid, quote unquote, freedom. Jesus means most to us. And when Jesus means most to us, when He is our treasure, we are freed of that small minded, small hearted thinking. In that freedom, we see everything we have time, money, energy, resources, our very lives as a gift from God to be stewarded for His glory, the good of others, and for our own needs. And and when we can trust in His provision for us, we start to loosen our grip, don't we? We start to loosen our grip on all the things that we think we have to have. And it's only then that we are empowered to give freely and joyfully and sacrificially and generously and consistently and actually embrace that reality that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Like that starts to become true and real in our own lives to the degree that we receive the generosity of Jesus towards us. Now, I know that's a lot, so let's let's just process for a minute, shall we? Um, I'm, I got four questions I want to put up on the screen for us as we move into our time of responding, and I really would just hope that you, you can write these down as they come, take a picture of the screen, whatever you want to do, but I, I pray that you will think through them um, to get an understanding. I This isn't just, um, my intention is not for you to go, okay, well, I'll give this much more and we'll do, right? No, it's sit with this for a second and understand what God's wanting to really say to you and do in your soul before you make action steps to like give away stuff. All right, first of all, look, the first question, do I really believe that there is blessing from the Lord in being generous? do I really believe that if I open up my hands and are generous with my time, my money, my energy, my resources, that God will actually bless me beyond all that I could hope or imagine? Again, this is not a prosperity gospel. He's obligated to give you, you know, well, I gave a hundred, so he owes me a thousand. That's not what we're talking about here, okay? We're talking about I am giving away because I don't own it anyway. It belongs to God. This will bless someone else. And do I believe that there is something that he will bless me with? And it's not just, oh, I feel good about myself. Right? There's, there is blessing from Jesus in our generosity if it's fueled by his generosity. Do I believe that? If I don't, why not? If I do, how come? Maybe you should talk about that with someone. Secondly, What keeps me from being more generous with my time, with my money, with my skills? Am I operating out of that scarcity mindset? Man, I just don't have enough of it. I don't have enough time, you know. I got all this stuff to catch up on Netflix. Um, I I don't have enough money to be generous. I don't have enough, okay. Is it a trust issue? I just don't trust that if I am generous with whatever God is, you know, maybe convicting me to be generous with, that he'll provide, that he'll actually give back. Is it my pride? You know what? I, some of you, and this is not a knock on my retired folks, I love you, but some of, I've heard people say, well, I, I, I gave for my whole working career, now this is my time. Your time might be shortened if that's how you think, <laughs> right? The Lord might just take you on home be like, all right, we're done here. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry. This is why I should stick to my notes, but you know. First week back, give me grace. So what is it that keeps me from being more generous with my time, money, skills, energy, all those things? Third, how does the costly generosity of Jesus to me motivate and empower me to open my hands? Okay, if God who owed me nothing but judgment and con- condemnation for my selfishness and sin and foolishness and all that, if he would give me his own son, if Jesus would live a perfect sinless life in my place as my perfect example and savior, if he would die on the cross for my sin, if he would rise from the grave so that I could be forgiven, if he would do that for me, how on earth can I keep my hands closed with the things that he's entrusted to me? How does the costly generosity of Jesus motivate and empower me to open my hands? And then fourth and finally, where... Might I be able to give my time, my money, my resources in order to honor God and to bless other people? Now, again, there's all kind of needs here, okay? We tell you about those needs from time to time. There's needs in kids ministry. There's needs in student ministry. There's needs in welcome team. There's needs in, you know, uh, community group. I mean, all those, okay? Security. We're not going to start p- calling out all the needs, okay? But And and that's just the church. And outside the church, there's a whole city that's lost and going to hell and and needs people to be generous with their time, their money, their energy, the gospel. There are all kinds of needs around us. Where might God be calling me to to give more of my time, my energy, my resources to honor him and to bless other people? All right, I'm going to leave these questions up on the screen for you. Um, you can write them down, take a picture. We're going to have a few minutes of, of quiet and stillness before the Lord, and I would just implore you to sit with the Lord and um, perhaps to just go over these questions in your mind and allow Him to, to sort of prompt you or speak to you, um, and, then, and then oblige yourself to do what He tells you. And uh, when I get up, um, uh, the, uh, the communion tables will be open. Now, we, we celebrate communion here every week. Um, as a a reminder and as a celebration. What we see at the tables is a reminder of the generosity of Jesus. He gave himself, he gave his flesh and his blood for us. And it's a foretaste of the future kingdom that, that, that God has prepared a table for us, a feast, and that one day we will be with him and we will be satisfied and fulfilled. We will have everything that we ever needed and we will be with him forever. And so this this communion meal is a foretaste of the kingdom. It's a a reminder of the blessing and the generosity of Jesus. And so I'm going to invite you, if you're a Christian, to come to these tables um, in in repentance of where we've all been selfish and prideful and small-minded in our thinking, to come in thanksgiving for the generosity of Jesus and to come with humility, you know, knowing that he would love us and and give to us um, so richly. And then um, as you can break or take a piece of the bread, there's juice or wine, whatever your conscience allows. If you're not a Christian, you can just stay seated here. No one will judge you for that. Uh, as all of you make your way back to um, your seats, there are black boxes in the back. If you uh, want to give financially uh, towards the mission of this church, you're welcome, of course, to do that. If you um, are new and want to be known, you can fill out a Connect card and uh, just put those cards in the back. If there's a way we can pray for you uh, as well. Those uh, can go in the, in the uh, giving boxes as well. And then uh, Matt and the band are gonna lead us in a couple songs before we get out of here. But let me pray, and then we'll have just a couple moments of silence. And again, when I get up, that'll be the signal that the tables are open. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for these beautiful people. Thank you for the opportunity to come back and um, to proclaim this word. I know this is a hard word, but I pray that it's a good word for us. um, And ultimately that we are encouraged by the generosity of Jesus to be generous, to trust you. And to open our hands. Um, We might lose some things out of our hands, but we have to trust that you will also fill our hands with good things. And so, Lord, help us to be a generous people like you, Jesus, um, to be gracious and winsome and generous, um, that you would fill us with power and um, with favor and with a good reputation in our community as we love and serve one another and our city. And so now would you Do what only you can do in our hearts. Just just speak to us in this moment of silence. And um, as we respond to you with communion, with giving, with singing, would you be honored and glorified? Would you fill us with great joy in your presence? And we ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit, amen. Just be still before the Lord.